Hi, and welcome to Seattle on Tap. I am Courtney Jacobson. And I am Ashley Toten. And welcome. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> oh, what a time to be alive. Oh, yes. I'm just tingling with excitement. Tingling. <laughs> Gross. <got> another word. <laughs> I guess I could have said buzzing with excitement, which would have been more beer related too. Oh yeah, that would have been smart. Uh, <laughs> if only I had a brain. <laughs> okay. Dude, um, this is episode 16. Yeah. What is even happening in the world anymore? <laughs> People have listened to us Look at at least us being 16 consistent times. with a thing. Yay! <laughs> and not even being paid for it. No. <laughs> we're, we're doing it because we love it. Yeah. Crazy. I know. <sighs> so, uh, what are you drinking? Oh, you're just getting right to it. I mean, my kind of why lady. are we even here? Um, <laughs> to drink beer and tell each other fucked up stories. Yes! <laughs> Uh, God, that's like very <laughs> pinky in the brain. <laughs> what are we gonna do tonight, brain? The same Take thing over we do the every world. night, pinky. Take that was over my the world. favorite. <laughs> so good. Uh, anywho, uh, today I am drinking the Rubens Brews Pilsner, um, because I need a little of a mellow, light, crisp situation in my life today. Yeah. Um, this is a Czech style Pilsner. Uh, it's super clean, super crisp, and really, really bright. Um, it has some bready notes from the malt. Um, it also has a unique thing that I feel like Czech-style pilsners versus German pilsners have, which is like a little mm-hmm. floral and spicy hop action. I like that part, yeah. Me too. And I, I mean, I love yeah. a German pils, but I feel like they're usually a little sweeter. Mm. Um, this is really, really easy to drink. And again, like we live in Seattle and it's shitty outside and rainy today, mm-hmm. but this is a perfect summer beer. You could drink this all fucking day. Um, it's also 5.4%. So you literally could probably drink it all day and be totally fine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, oh yeah. And Rubens, which I mean, I feel like we talk about Rubens all the time because we fucking They're love them, but, um, but they are in, uh, Seattle, Washington. Mm-hmm. What are you drinking today? So I went back. <laughs> when you start like that, I'm like, oh, oh boy. <laughs> oh, I do kind of do that thing, huh? Um, so it's not bad, but <laughs> no. Um, this is more of a so I did a thing. Um, <laughs> okay. Um, in one of our episodes, I drank Irish Death. Um, which is amazing as i've said in the episode it's one of my very favorite beers um that being said one of our friends and listeners to the podcast um reached out to me and said oh my god did you see that iron horse has aloha death it's basically irish death but with coconut and he sent me a picture jesus so obviously, I ran down there. <laughs> uh, he got it at my favorite place to 
to buy all the beers, Super Deli Mart. Um, and I quite literally can walk there. So I did. And that is what I'm drinking. It is a dark, smooth ale with coconut. And God, that sounds Oh my good. God. It smells like complete heaven. So if you like coconut, you're going to side with me. But if you're not, if you don't like coconut, then just maybe then you're wrong. Fast forward 30 <laughs> seconds. Cause yeah, there's that. But maybe fast forward 30 seconds while I go on and on about how this beer is delicious because you don't deserve to listen. Um, <laughs> that's not true. We banish um, you. <laughs> no. <laughs> We're just kidding. Daniel doesn't like coconut, which is great for me. I was I say, buy some of and... my favorite people don't like coconut and it's, yeah. you know, it's just their character flaw. And it means more for me. So there's that. <laughs> true. <laughs> um. Mm. <laughs> it's kind of like oh my gosh it's there's <laughs> coffee notes kind of oh and the coconut is like real flavor of coconut not weird and, syrupy but it's not overwhelming it's not sweet it's just it's to me the perfect beer to drink in on a really shitty rainy day I love coconut. Speaking of which, <sighs> we uh, semi-recently did a bonus episode uh, mm-hmm. that we were talking about uh, Black Lives. Mm-hmm. But during that episode, a thing I failed to mention, and I thought of it because of the coconut, they recently released this brewery out in Woodenville, Washington called Metier. Uh, They're relatively new. They just released a coconut porter that if I could get my hands on holy fucking shit i'd be drinking it no every kidding. day um, hey maybe by the time this episode comes out we I can, can have go it. there things Yay! will be open enough where we can have a road trip i really been really wanting to go out i've been fortunate Ugh. enough to have quite a few of their beers and their beers yeah. are stellar but coconut porter i mean you and i both love coconut yeah and Ugh. porter oh my God. <laughs> give me all of those things at the same time. yes anywho you should check that out <sighs> yeah I, I definitely want to. <clears throat> road trip. <laughs> I Not love a I love a good road trip. Maybe for Patreon we can do a road trip. Ooh. That'd count be fun. me in. <laughs> I'm real into it. I don't have a car, <laughs> but I can drive. <laughs> I have one. <laughs> um I think I go first today. I think you do too, which I'm kind of glad, to be honest. Okay. I feel like my story is per huge kind of heavy but it's kind of crazy um so you and I have both hinted around about my ties to a cult Ooh, <laughs> we get to learn about this I don't even know all the information yet I'm so excited <laughs> to hear this so my my me. mom I mean this is the place it's a it's a safe burp space um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so my mom, as well as her parents, and obviously my mom's two sisters, um, all grew up in this religion, um, the RLDS, Reorganized Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, my mom was in the priesthood, so yeah, I'm a preacher's daughter. (laughs) (laughs) 
my mom's dad was in the priesthood so she is too um and then his parents were very involved in the church and anyway so it it goes to the top anyway um (laughs) (laughs) we for the law i mean we it was a legit religion whatever but the the particular um places where we went particular um like actual churches where we went believed in a bit of an end of days situation oh boy (laughs) yeah and a a they for sure um believed that there was going to be a second coming of christ and then an end of days and they they really latched on to that whole um apocalypse revelations stuff and like that was a big part of um of what we were taught and um anyway so that's why I say I was raised in a cult because not I mean yes we're part of a legit religion but the the part that that we learned about was that our particular organization or break off of that church was um very end of days focused and so there um so i'm going to tell you about one of the breakoffs of that religion that was an actual cult Uh, and people died that's never alarming we're just a break off of another organized religion that's never problematic (laughs) And yeah, so, and then I'll get, I'll get into some more crazy stuff. I'm going to take a quick drink of this amazing beer. Oh man, I'm so excited to hear about this because I kept, I mean, you mentioned it once and then I was like, (laughs) I need to know everything, but I just want to be like, like, yeah, I'll tell you later. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. I'm like, what what do you mean? Uh, yeah I just I don't want to hurt families feelings and yeah anyway so lay okay. it on me <laughs> these, these people <laughs> I will say um the RLDS church ended up changing their name because of some a few different scandals so if that tells you anything <laughs> I am no longer a part of the church but you know there we go anyway all right so i'm going to tell you about the jeff about jeffrey lundgren and the kirtland cult killings so jeffrey don lundgren was born may 3rd 1950 in independence missouri and grew up as a member of the rlds reorganized church of jesus christ of latter-day saints (laughs) (laughs) um A teensy bit of information, history, about the RLDS church. Um, The church uh, got its origins, um, well, they traced their origins back to Joseph Smith's establishment of the Church of Christ, which is the Mormons. Mm -hmm. Um, That was April 6th, officially April 6th of 1830. They, a group of members, including his oldest son, Joseph Smith III formally established the current church. Um, 
in on April 6th of 1860. So 30 years later to the day, um, Joseph Smith's son started the RLDS church, basically took, took the Book of Mormon and a lot of their practices, but also kind of said, but you know, maybe women can be in the priesthood and maybe the whole like tobacco and caffeine being the drugs or the devil's tool is not true. Maybe we can have some caffeine. Maybe we can have some tobacco. I feel like they wrote that while they had a cigarette hanging out of their mouth, drinking a cup of coffee. And we're like, I've got, there's gotta be a way to write this in. (laughs) Quite possibly. (laughs) Um, And it was shortly after um, the 1844 death of Joseph Smith. So dad died. The son was like, all right, here's the deal. I kind of <laughs> like all this stuff, but I need a little bit more freedom. Sure. But also this chick I want to bang. Um, <laughs> no, I'm kidding. <laughs> She's a wicked smoker. Oh. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but yeah, they, um, they are one of the few religions that felt women should be in the priesthood. Um, all right. Back to Jeffrey Lundgren. Um, he was severely abused by his parents, particularly his dad while growing up. He was a full on loner throughout all of school. Um, finally found some common ground and a way to bond with his dad over hunting. So in order to get some favor or approval, he just really went it really leaned into that hunting and became an expert, um, at hunting and guns. After high school, he attended Central Missouri State University and spent majority of his time at a house that was for a youth group for RLDS college kids. And that is where he met his future wife, Alice Keeler. They bonded over both having abusive dads and the same religion. Um, so London Grin and Alice Keeler got married in 1970, and same year he enlisted in the U.S. Navy. On December 2nd, 1970, um, they had their first child, a son. And I wrote here, Jeff was only freaking 20. Yeah, that's. I just I can't. I just can't imagine myself being. ready to have a child at 20 years old but that's just me yeah my parents were Um, young too my mom was 20 when she had me and my dad was 23 man that's like sounds like a nightmare um, (laughs) yeah my mom was my mom was 25 when she had me and I can't imagine being responsible for another human life (laughs) (laughs) I was 33 when I had Layla and I still felt like oh wait are you sure I'm uh, just enough of an adult for this (laughs) Are you sure you want to let me take You're this You're a great off? mom. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Gordon's a great dad, too, for that matter. He really, really is. Um, so in 1974, they had their second child on the way, and he asked the uh, he asked to be discharged a little early from the Navy because he wanted to be able to prepare and start providing different, like, better for this baby on the way. They're like, nope, you've only got a few months left. Stick with it. 
So he was later discharged, same freaking year, just a few months later, um, on his normal date. And then his son was born soon after. <clears throat> so with that, he's got two boys and a wife, discharged honorably from the Navy, and decides, let's go to San Diego. I agree. Let's go. <laughs> um <laughs> good beer down there just saying (laughs) good beer a lot more sunshine i wouldn't have to wear hoodies all the day all time (laughs) um (laughs) all right um but he couldn't hack it and a matter of months later i mean apparently the economy was crap at the time anyway um so they moved back to missouri and by 1979, they have their third child, this time a girl. So now Jeff has had to move back to his home state. He's kind of having to borrow money from his in-laws here and there. He's not doing so great money-wise. He's got three kids. He's just stressed to the gills. Um, and he starts being pretty abusive to his wife, Alice. Um, I mean, he's got, like I said, money problems, family stress, the typical fragile male ego. (laughs) Um, (laughs) so, uh, you know, the stuff that makes you beat up on your wife. Um, (laughs) she was hospitalized for a ruptured spleen because he pushed her into a doorknob. Fuck. Yeah. Um, And then in 1980, they had their fourth child. One year after their third. I mean, Christ. You know, when you're in a abusive relationship, pushing out more babies definitely helps. Well. (laughs) God. I can only imagine that she was just trying to keep him happy. And... Unfortunately, when you're in a relationship with an abusive man, that tends to mean a lot of sex. And when you're in a pretty strict religion, that also means lots of babies. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, they had their fourth kid, another son. Um, So then we, four years later, April 19th, 1984, he moves the family to Kirtland, Ohio. Because he had a vision and that that was where he was supposed to be. Now, something to keep in mind, I just now realize as I'm saying that, um, it's pretty prevalent in the RLDS and the LDS religions for people to have, quote, visions. And they are... Yeah. Um, I will just not. Uh, yeah, I will reserve judgment. Um, but I have witnessed a lot of these, quote, visions. And um, mo- a lot of the time I have noticed that they were full on bullshit. Um, so there's that. Uh, but yeah, people have visions or... Um, messages from God in their dreams and things like that. And it's, it's just, it's a accepted prevalent thing in this religion. So 
little sidebar there. Anyway, um, so he had a vision and also because it was the birthplace of their religion. Um, the first place that Joseph Smith Sr. and the third were ever practicing their whatever. Um, <laughs> so he, they move out there and he gets a job at the Kirtland Temple, which is like a big historic to-do site. Um, gets a job at the Kirtland Temple as a tour guide. And then because of that, he gets to live in a church-owned house that's next door to the temple. Um, so this is where his crazy really starts working. <laughs> um, <laughs> he starts uh, teaching his own special way of interpreting the Bible. It's called the chiastic interpretation. And what this is, is, um, excuse me, burps. Um, the concept was dividing the word in order to interpret the truth of the scriptures. So divide this guy believes that my own interpretation of? Uh, no. Well, yeah. So <laughs> he said that everything... <laughs> so apparently he's thinking that there's a lot of like um, fake stuff in the Bible. I don't know. Um, but he says that everything that God actually created has a right and left side that are mirroring each up each other. So that means that if you take a line of scripture and the line before it, in addition to the line after it, are cohesive to that message, if they all kind of coincide together, then that line that you took is true. Now, if you take a line from the Bible, the line before it doesn't really coincide with that and the line or the line after it doesn't really coincide with it, then that is a false piece of information. It is not true word of God. I wish you could <laughs> see the face I'm making right now. It's so confusing. I had to read this a few times. I feel like he was smoking um, local shrubbery and then decided that. But that's me. You're telling the story. This is just my yeah, interpretation. It, this is my division of... I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Continue. Yeah. I. It was so confusing. I actually was texting my mom about this because um, mini sidebar, uh, one of the people that ended up being in this cult was the son of someone my mom worked for. And so she would actually talk to one of these followers of the cult that ended up being in jail because he would call the office and she would have to talk to him from time to time Holy moly. before he would get uh, yeah uh, what does that even mean does that make sense to you and she's like oh my gosh I don't I never even heard that um, so we both kind of tried to figure out what the heck that even meant and this division of like okay you take three lines if all three lines basically have the same message or all work together, then the middle line is for sure true. But if not, you have to throw all the lines away, something like that. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 
I'm like sitting here cross-eyed staring off. Yeah. So, (laughs) so one of the reasons, one of the other reasons he wanted to be at the Kirtland temple was because the left and right side of the building mirrored each other. They looked the same. Also the, the name of the state, Ohio, the O it begins with O it ends with O. So it's a cohesive state to live in. It's a more godly state. <laughs> Interesting. So there you go, Ohio. Um, <laughs> so anyway, his teachings rubbed people in the church the wrong way. So they asked him to leave in 1987. They also suspected him of stealing na- nearly $40,000 from the temple. So he got fired from being a tour guide and kicked out of the house. So um, he then moves to a rental house um, on a farm, not too terribly far away, still in Kirtland area. And um, he starts inviting his friends, uh, some of which were, so he had a group of friends when he was in Independence, Missouri, one of which he even served in the Navy with. And um, a few were just childhood friends. Anyway, there was a small group of people that moved from Missouri to go to to move to Kirtland with him because he felt that this was the place to be, the more godly place to be for the second coming of Christ. And um, then he met other people while in Kirtland and they kind of joined and sort of really believed in him and his way of interpreting the Bible. Um, so when he moves to this farm, he starts inviting those friends um, over for Bible studies and he starts teaching this chiastic method of interpreting the Bible. And after a while, nearly nearly all of his followers move in uh, to the farmhouse. <laughs> Here's where it gets culty. That sounds <laughs> So seven out of the 12 followers, if you will, moved into the house. And the five people that did not move in were um, this family of five, husband, wife, and their three kids, the Averys. Um, and... <laughs> At this point, so the Avery family really felt like they should stay in their own home because um, uh, the dad, Avery, his dad had sold his own home and gave them the money to move to Kirtland. And um, so he felt like he owed his own dad to like not give up his thing that his dad gave him basically it gave him all almost all the money to buy a house in Kirtland um and you know he had three kids so he wanted to keep them in one succinct household makes sense um certainly does so uh getting catching up okay here we go 
Um, so this is also when Jeff starts brainwashing his followers. He starts telling them he would prefer they, they don't have many have important conversations when he's not around. He starts eavesdropping on their little conversations and then trying to can and using that information to convince them that he could read their mind. Um, he starts having them give up all their possessions. <laughs> the biggest red flag of all. <laughs> um, <laughs> Give up all their possessions and money. Live in my barn. It'll be fine. Yeah. God. <laughs> and giving all the stuff up, all the money and everything that they had to Jeff and the group. Um, so the group believed that Jeff had revelations from God. One of them was that he said on May 3rd, he didn't really specify the year, but he said he had a vision from God, a revelation that God told him on May 3rd of some year uh, that there was going to be the second coming of Christ and um, that they should be ready and they should do a, they should take over the Kirtland Temple and probably would have to do so in a hostile manner in order to celebrate the second coming of Christ. So they start buying guns and doing training exercises for it. Keep in mind, Jeff's birthday was May 3rd. So he's basically setting up for it all to be that he was Christ incarnate. (sighs) Okay. (laughs) We both sigh. Oh, God. (laughs) So by February of 1988, Kevin Curry, who's one of the followers, decides to leave the group. He's getting nervous about the whole taking over the temple thing. And he moves away. And once he moves away, he ends up calling the FBI to warn them of Jeff Lundgren's plans. Um, And the FBI then is like, hmm. We're going to tell the Kirtland police chief, have him investigate it first before we believe. The Kirtland police chief waves it off. (laughs) It's like, eh, I don't think so. (laughs) And (laughs) I mean, come on. Um, And then he gets another tip from a neighbor of the farm and she calls and says yo one of Jeff Lundgren's kids told my kids that there was going to be this apocalyptic situation happening very soon the earth's going to open up um, and we're going to have demons escaping but also the second coming of Christ she also had suspected that it was a cult so she's like you got to get out there and do something about this because I'm a little nervous. (laughs) Um, So now Chief Yarborough of Kirtland Police calls Lundgren, says, come on down. I got to talk to you about some stuff. Comes down there on May 2nd and tells Lundgren, hey, chill out. 
Your neighbors are getting a little nervous about all the shooting and stuff that they're hearing. They're trying to say that you're running a cult. You and I both know that you're not running a cult. You're just a, you know, really religious, um, no harm white man that happens to be concerned with gun rights. It's fine. We get it. But just chill out. Because that's yeah. always the case. White men are always so well, calm and rational. He was a good <laughs> religious family man. How can he be doing anything wrong? <sighs> so, um, then after Jeff goes home, Yarborough brags that he neutralized the situation. Give him a good talking to. And when Ugh. Jeff gets home, he tells his followers um, that he had a revelation, another revelation. And God told him not to go forward with their plans for the next day of taking over the Kirtland Temple and potentially massacring a bunch of people. Instead, he said God wants him to cleanse the vineyard of sins. Um, he had taken to calling the, the Kirtland Temple and the surrounding area the vineyard. And he said they had to start with the Avery family. And started telling his the people that actually lived on the farm with him that the Averys were sinners because they refused to live at the farm that they had their own, they kept their own money and bank accounts how dare they have common even sense? though the Avery family was <laughs> one of the biggest financial benefactors of Lundgren's group but they kept a little bit oh. of money in their own account for their children so they were big old sinners um <laughs> so on October 10th so quite I mean from May to October 1988 Lundgren is excommunicated from the church like 100% they and this is actually a pretty big thing um, the RLDS church basically believes that once you've been in the church you are of that religion for life you can pretty much do no wrong. So it's a major, major thing for them to be like, you are no longer allowed to enter our churches. You are not a part of our family. We don't know who you are. Um, so yeah, he's excommunicated from the church. And that same day, there was a giant thunderstorm in the area. And then a huge rainbow following it. So he tells this, his followers, oh, yep, see that? That's a sign of the opening of the seven seals. And the seven seals is referring to the book of Revelations. And essentially he's saying that the end of days is beginning. Um, the seven seals. It definitely wasn't refracted light from the sun shining out of his own uh, fucking ass. Uh, Probably uh, not. Or, no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah um <laughs> i mean if you live in the midwest you know that that's prime thunderstorm time of the year um right spring and fall <laughs> both of them are tornado seasons <laughs> so you know anyway um <sighs> after months of teaching his bullshit scripture interpretations he decides to plan for the cleansing April 10th, oh boy. Yeah, April 10th of 1989, so six months later, 
he has his group dig a pit in the barn of the farmhouse. Oh, I don't like uh-huh, that. To kill and place the bodies of the Avery family. Oh, God. Right. Um, he had the co- he had the group convinced that they were the big sinners of the group, um, and that if the group did not kill them, no one of the group would be able to see God when the apocalypse actually happened. Um, man, yeah. So on the seventeenth, he hosts a big dinner for the whole group, and he's telling the group that he's going to take them on a wilderness trip. And after the dinner, they lure uh, Dennis Avery, who's the dad, in out to the barn saying, um, like one of the guys says, hey, Dennis, come with me out to the barn. Let's start getting some of our camping supplies ready. So he goes out there and all of the men of the group are out waiting. And I'll spare you the details, but dies he gets shot eventually and then they lure out um dennis's wife and they're like hey dennis needs some help can you run out there and help him and check on something so she goes out there same thing she dies and then they end up taking the three their three daughters killing them all five members of the family are thrown into this pit And they bury them with lime, rocks, dirt, and then garbage. Oh, God. Uh And I'm for sure, like, sparing some of the worst details of exactly how they got killed. If you want to find that out, you can find it. Um, Anyway, so the next day, the cops actually show up at the farmhouse to question Lundgren about his plans to take over the temple and then I write here keep up guys that's so last year (laughs) (laughs) um (laughs) this makes Jeff nervous about being caught because it's the day after I mean like the morning after they had killed these people the night before um so he gets super freaked out about being caught and he flees to the wilderness of West Virginia. They just basically drive out, drive East for a while. And then they're like, Oh, West Virginia, lots of Hills and wilderness. This is good. Hike in. They just camp for several months um, with his whole cult group. Anyway, nine months later, January 3rd, 1990, um, a tip comes into the Kirtland police office leading them to the farm saying that they're, if they dig under there, under the farm or or in the, um, sorry, the barn, um, they will find some bodies. They did. They find the Avery family. So now police and FBI begin searching for all the members of the group, um, By this time, Jeff had gotten tired of camping it out in the wilderness with his cult followers, and he takes his wife and kids to, um, and moves to California. But within the first few months of 1990, 
they catch all members of the Kirtland cult. And um, obviously, they all get trials, blah, blah, blah. Everybody's guilty. <laughs> For the most part, all the members of the cult admit everything, tell all the stories. They were so brainwashed that when they are giving their testimonies and being um, uh, in, interrogated by the police, they have almost no emotion because they just, for them, it was something they had planned and planned and planned for. And it was what they had to do so they could see God. Um, Jesus, anyway, man. Yeah. So uh, Jeff was sentenced to death uh, and was executed October 24th of 2006. So oh, wow. a super long time after 1990. Um, his wife, Alice, was given 140 years to life. Their oldest son, Damon, got 120 years to life. Um, one of the other main members that helped plot everything got 170 years to life. And then everyone got sentences. Um, some didn't get quite as high. Um, Greg Winship, the guy that uh, my mom worked for his dad, ended up getting just not that long it was something like 12 years or something and he ended up doing some bizarre program while in jail through the Mennonites and now he's a big figure in the Mennonite community so he didn't learn much um but yeah that is the story of the Kirtland cult killings that is <laughs> fucking bananas yeah and one God. of one of the weird cults that came from the religion I was raised in. <laughs> Very fucking weird. Yeah. I'm glad I, I finally got to hear it though, because you've always been like, "Yeah, I was raised in a cult. It was yeah. weird." <laughs> Tell me more. Yeah, the weird Someday. thing is like, when <laughs> I remember being in like junior high and my mom was in the priesthood and we'd go early of course because we'd go to Sunday school classes and those were always right before the main service blah 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 and I used to constantly get in trouble for asking too many questions <laughs> so shame on you for asking questions you're just a little girl knock it off I mean this is I graduated in 99 and so this is you know, kind of early 90s when I'm learning about some of the, like late, late 80s, early 90s when I'm in some of these uh, Sunday school classes and they'd be writing on the board, the year 2000 is when the, the, the year, the world is going to end, the apocalypse is coming, revelations, blah, blah, blah. This is what this means. And like writing it on this big um, whiteboard and and I just constantly raise my hand and say, but why? But how yep. do you decide that that's what that means? But why? But why? And I'm genuinely just trying to make this make sense in my head. For sure. And I would get in so much trouble. Like, stop, stop. You're interrupting. I'm going to tell your mom you're being disruptive. I'm like, okay. <laughs> that's fine. I just don't fucking get it. Because <laughs> it doesn't All make right. sense. <laughs> And then when I got my first job, I just remember being like, um, 
So here's my school schedule. Also, I have church. So if you could just make sure to schedule me so I don't have to go to church, that'd be great. <laughs> <laughs> done and done. My That's mom little got Courtney so working it out. <laughs> That's they're so like, funny. yeah, the church uh, lunchgoers don't really tip and they're very demanding. So are you sure you can handle that? And I'm like, I don't care. <laughs> Anything's better than this. It's fine. 2.15 an hour is fine. <laughs> yeah it's important to ask how and ask why yeah yep it's important shit oh so now i'm gonna take a drink after all that i could use a quick sip myself should we take a little breaky poo mm-hmm. i also need to hunt down chapstick because i feel like my lips are gonna shrivel up and run away oh that would not so I do that too. that would be hard for telling <laughs> stories i would look very very scary <laughs> And I'm back. <laughs> oh, I see. So, tell me a story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> After that, I'm like, I'm so exhausted. <laughs> I know. There was so much. <sighs> so, again, I feel like this is just an ongoing joke now that I just very rarely tell a subtle story. <laughs> but, <laughs> but today I am telling the story of Diogo Alves, who was the aqueduct killer of Portugal. Ooh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so this story takes place a long time ago, way back in 1810. Uh, Diago Alves was born into a really poor family in Galicia, Spain. Uh, although there isn't a lot of information about his childhood or his family, I assume that's because folks were generally not documenting the lives of peasants in history. Um, but it was noted that as a child, Diogo fell off of a family horse, which resulted in a pretty bad head injury, um, that also earned him the nickname Pencada, which evidently means blow or depending on the use of the word in Portuguese knock or stroke. Oh, um, which, so as a person that has been in trouble for using this word before publicly, I assume <laughs> it is the equivalent <laughs> of calling somebody retarded. Ah, uh, uh, considering this, I would think it's safe to say that he was a very bullied child. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, At the age of 19, again, his family was very poor, and they sent him away, hoping that he would find opportunity elsewhere to make a living for the family, or at least help. Um, And he was sent to live in Lisbon, Portugal. So he went from Spain to Portugal. Um, Upon his arrival, like any young person trying to move and get work and experience, you know, with little experience and no savings and blah, 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 all of us have moved as young people, probably. uh, He struggled a lot. Um, and he was frequently turned away from potential jobs, uh, due to that lack of experience. Um, but eventually he was able to get a few jobs here and there, but it was never really like enough to live on, you know? Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so unfortunately he did what a lot of folks end up doing in desperate situations and began living more of a life of crime. <laughs> During this time in his life, he had also started drinking pretty heavily um, and was gambling pretty regularly. Oof. Um, and that was basically his general pastimes. 
Um, and eventually during that, he ended up meeting and then beginning a romantic relationship with a local innkeeper named Maria Baharina was quote, like a nickname apparently, which I had to Google cause I was like, I don't know what the fuck that means. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. And maybe somebody can fill me in. I don't speak Portuguese. Evidently the literal translation is grape. And I was <laughs> like, grape. Okay. Um, Anyhow, that relationship is thought to be what sparked his crime spree. So in 1836, Diego began hiding out along the Aguas Livres aqueduct, which stretches 18 kilometers or like a little over 11 miles at the main course of the aqueduct. Um, And just for reference, the aqueduct, including its network of canals, extends nearly 58 kilometers total or roughly 36 miles. So it's fucking huge. Um, And it was the primary resource for drinking water and fresh water in general in that region. Um, He would wait on the streets below, hiding until he spotted a victim, and then he would attack and rob these people probably bludgeoning them um, due to the rest of the information I have and then dragging the bodies up onto the aqueduct and then throwing their bodies over. Wow. Um, Yes. (laughs) And so the reason he was doing this again from information I gathered is to make it look more like these folks died of suicide. And he did this Mm. 70 times. Oh my God. Yes. So again, to give you an idea of the scale, The aqueduct is 65 meters high at its highest point, which is about 213, uh, well, exactly, it's 213.255 feet high. It is likely from the height of 60 meters that he was throwing the bodies off. So 196.85 feet, which is really fucking high. And just to give a visual, because I'm that fucking guy... (laughs) <laughs> the Statue of Liberty in New York Harbor is 151 feet and one inch from the base of the copper part, like at her feet, basically, to the torch. Um, but from the base, like to the ground, all the way up to the top of the torch, it's 305 feet and one inch. So throwing a person off the side of the, these aqueducts, you can only imagine what that level of force would have done to a person's body on impact. Um, it would have made... I mean, basically any other wound be unrecognizable, which is why I kind of have a feeling he was bludgeoning people because it would just look like a secondary, like, impact injury, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's that's all me. There's I couldn't find any proof that he was stabbing right. or shooting or whatever, but I would assume that it, to make it look like a suicide, it was probably some sort of a, you know, impact injury he was causing. Um, so like I said, he did this 70 times until he was finally caught. And although due to the condition of the bodies, they were not actually able to charge him with murder of all these people. So the jury instead sentenced him and the gang he was an associate, like he had been associated with and other crimes, including four murders, which were all the members of a local doctor's family. Uh, his girlfriend, Maria, who we talked about, you know, Grape, his girlfriend, Grape. I don't know why <laughs> that's a name, but it is. And what was the, what was the actual Portuguese word? Uh, par, parharinha. 
I believe that's how you pronounce it. Parina, Parharina, I think is how you say it. I don't know. I don't speak Portuguese. But I was very confused to find out that meant grape, apparently. Yeah, that's weird. Was she a round lady? (laughs) Did she drink a lot of wine? Like, what the (laughs) Um, (laughs) But anyhow, so he ended up uh, getting tried for these murders. And uh, sorry, I have a thing in my eyeball. I have to rub my eye. Okay. Um, (laughs) So his girlfriend's kid, so his girlfriend, Grape, a.k.a. Maria, had a daughter also named Maria. And her daughter, Maria, testified in court against the gang, which included her mother. Uh, And I don't know if her mom was directly associated with them or it was like guilt by association or what the situation was, but her mother was sent to live a life of exile in African colonies of Portugal. Mm. Diogo was hanged. Now there are conflicting facts surrounding Diogo. He is considered to be the first serial killer in Portugal, which is sort of why I did this story because I thought it was really interesting to somebody to be claimed the first serial killer of anywhere. Yeah. Um, but it was also said that he was the last person hanged in Portugal. And based upon research that I did, I was not able to actually verify that was correct. Mm. Um, having said that, I thought I would just sprinkle some facts in here about the history of the Portuguese capital punishment laws because they are very progressive. Mm. Um, so no executions have been carried out since 1864 with the formal abolishment of capital punishment for civic Uh, crimes occurring in 1867 until this time the primary method of capital punishment was hanging portugal was the first country in the world to begin the abolishment of death penalties but they did it in stages Um, they discontinued death penalty cases for political crimes in uh, 1852 and then all crimes except for military crimes by 1867 and then eventually for all crimes in 19 or yeah 1911 which is like i mean the united states is still lynching people like now yeah they're still doing it now let's be honest about things um yeah (laughs) it's still not a crime in eight states yeah it's like i was really impressed to read i'm like dang go portugal you guys know what's up like that's not how you deal with things (laughs) um yeah because I can't ever do a basic fucking story, as I said before, after <laughs> Diogo Alves was hanged on February 19th, 1841, his head was removed from his body and then sent off to be studied by scientists of Medical <laughs> Surgical School of Lisbon. This is very similar to the reasons they did uh, calling back to the George Big Nose Parrot episode. Um, yeah, they wanted to see if there were any obvious indications or anomalies in his brain that maybe led to his behavior. Um, and to this day, that head is still preserved in a glass vessel uh, at the University Ew. of Lisbon's Faculty of Medicine, along with the skull of another local murderer named Francisco Matos Lobo. Um, oh. Unfortunately, that area of the university is completely off limits generally to the public, but it's there for students. But there are a shit ton of photos online and it's fucking weird. That dude's head is in a jar. It's weird. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, oh my god, no. I can't stop looking at it. Oh my god, no. (laughs) I'm gonna look it up. (laughs) It's so fucking gross. 
Oh my god. But, yeah, that's his story. <laughs> Ew, I'm just picturing it being like bloated because it's all ugh. it's surprisingly okay. preserved. It's like wild fucking disturbing. Ugh. <laughs> so gross. Anyway, that's that story. A little bit disturbing, but it's some fun facts about Portugal. Crazy. That as far as I can re- find, you know, documented, he was the first serial killer in Portugal. That's pretty yeah. nuts. I mean, I feel like almost all these people that do the killings and the the cults and they have troubled childhoods and it's, <sighs> I just, I feel like maybe if there was a better focus on mental health, I don't know. Again, calling back to episodes, a thing that yeah. I uh, forgot to mention that I actually had written out when we did our Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter episode was that, um, yeah. I wrote a section in that that I got a little too passionate and forgot to to actually read. But uh, (laughs) I mentioned that, you know, as white women that do a podcast about true crime and history, we often hear stories of a lot of white people, specifically a lot of the times men, Mm -hmm. that literally get away with murder. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of them did have troubled childhoods, but a lot of people do and don't feel privileged enough to go out and murder people and arrogantly get away with it. Um, The other thing that I had wanted to add in reference to that is that a lot of times these folks are put to death, as we've just mentioned, the death penalty Mm -hmm. still exists, but their punishments are quote part of their justice um and are planned out and up to that point they get to live kind of like kings and queens and whatever until they're put to death whereas people now are just being executed in the streets and not given a fair trial and not being asked questions and not being i mean the fucking kid that um i don't can't remember this dude's name the guy that went to the batman movie and shot a bunch of people in the theater oh yeah that dude got very delicately handcuffed and taken away and got to have didn't they stop to to get him some food something like i'm like yeah fucking kidding me right now like what is happening yeah yeah serial killers are um i get asked a lot why we do a podcast surrounding history and true crime and how we can read the shit we read and the fact of the matter is is that we don't read it because we like it we read it to educate ourselves um, and make changes and, and try to yeah. honestly try to catch some of these fucking assholes too but um, yeah but yeah to try to better the community and so- figure out why these people do these things and yeah mm-hmm. maybe our funding might be better served to prevent this sort of shit too just saying yeah very true all true things <laughs> <laughs> Have you been doing with the transition and, um, you know, we're not technically in lockdown anymore, but we're still in the middle of a pandemic. Have y'all been dealing with that and any positive notes on things you guys have been doing to. Yeah, we're, you know, it maybe taking advantage of being able to go to parks again and, <laughs> um, seeing a few friends here and there and taking you know, we uh, had some friends that 
well my one of my friends she just turned 40 and everybody was supposed to be in Mexico for her birthday and that had to be canceled because of obvious reasons yeah and um so we all kind of did a bizarre social distanced kind of get together and alcohol and you know fun and (laughs) everybody just felt like we all felt like we were on a high for two or three days after that just because we got to see each other and so a little of that um I'm kind of thinking it might be time for us to get together and have a beer in public again I don't believe it's true are you even real (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding We should. We should do our next meeting in public. We should. I'm also, I mean, at this point, the park next to my house, there's always people having a hoot nanny anyway. Would be two ladies drinking a beer in the park. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I keep seeing pictures of these chickens that they keep traipsing around. What in the fuck is happening? I'm I'm down to watch watch that in real time. It's getting fucking weird down there. Oh, oh my God. So, you know, my weird thing with the crows. Yes. (laughs) You mean that you've adopted them all as your pets? I mean, kind of. I told Daniel that and he's like, tell her to stop. (laughs) (laughs) I will not. (laughs) Um, So yesterday I go outside and I see Gordon spraying (laughs) water like with a squirt bottle squirting this crow that happened to be on the lattice that he built for his hops in the back and it's like he's got this kind of the top of the fence comes over and it's almost like a roof roof of lattice for the hops to grow up and then start going sideways (laughs) anyway um this crow was sitting on it and he's squirting it with water and it's not really it's not flying away or anything it's just kind of like looking away and kind of like like, uh, uh, you know (laughs) Yeah, and I go, stop it, and I get him to stop, and then after a while, we realize it's a, a adolescent crow that probably tried to cl- tried to fly for the first time, oh. and he's sitting there squirting, like, basically torturing this thing, because he's worried about the crow pooping on his hops, <laughs> and <laughs> of course, Layla and I both come out there, stop it, <laughs> don't be mean to the crow! <laughs> And then, like, a bunch of weirdos were out there like, it's okay, little buddy. You, It'll be okay. <laughs> and he, he tried to cr- uh, fly a few more times and ended up making it to another fence. And we're like, yay! <laughs> oh, the things that entertain us these days. <laughs> I kind of like crows. They just, uh, I mean, I was just telling you the other day that this yeah. happened to my sister once. Um, but it recently happened to me. And when my sister told me the story, I was like, no way until it happened to me. (laughs) But I was like walking to work one day and this crow just like flew down and pecked me on the head for no fucking reason. Mm -hmm. Like I was just walking with my headphones and (laughs) crows are fucking weird animals, but they're insanely smart. Yeah. They can pass down. They can recognize people's facial features and identify each person 
and then they can even pass down that information through DNA to their young. So that crow's children know who you are. That actually makes sense. My stepmom is like a really hardcore crow person. Like at one point I was teasing her because I'm like, you're like fucking Snow White. You just stand in your yard and all these animals arrive. (laughs) Um, But when they like yell at her when she's getting in and out of her car, like I've seen like she and I have gone on walks in the past and like a crow will keep kind of following us. And I'm like, what the fuck is happening? It's so weird. (laughs) (laughs) And they make different noises to people they recognize. It's Mm -hmm. weird. Yeah. I've, I've gotten, I've got some recognition now because Layla and I have been feeding them and yeah, we're probably pissing off all our neighbors. I'm sure. I mean, how else are you going to be the neighborhood witch? I mean, I just don't know how else you do it. <laughs> Very true. <laughs> and I got to keep some law and order around here somehow. <laughs> got my crow minions. <laughs> In my boring, quiet neighborhood. <laughs> I've just been trying to, like, get back into like balancing my life again because I'm going like I'm back at work kind of now and trying to like okay so before I was I had the whole fucking day to figure all this stuff out and it's only been like three months but it's ruined me and my ability to like balance my life yeah yeah it's been kind of interesting great to be Mm -hmm. working again though man I'm I'm both eager to get back, but also not because I'm afraid to get back too soon and then lose out on a lot of money. Or potentially get sick. And catch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That. Because <laughs> my customers and your customers are different people. <laughs> our, I, we're also really lucky at we're at, like my place of work. Um, our bosses mm-hmm. are like have a very strict, if you don't have a mask, you can't come in policy going on, which is like for the general well-being mm-hmm. of customers but also for our own health yeah um, i just generally feel like if you're selfish enough to not be willing to wear a mask for long enough to walk into a business you probably also didn't wash your hands <laughs> that's like, yeah, that's like how my maybe. brain processes that that might not be correct and, but... and you might think that this whole thing is made up and... yeah which I, we've had a few of those and I like, I don't want to get into it with people, you know, like yeah. I, I'm just not going to start having that conversation, but um, it is real. People are dying from it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think that like, I don't, I've started not wearing a mask when I'm like out on walks if there's nobody around. Cause I was like, there's literally yeah. nobody here and I am also can't breathe right now. <laughs> um yeah. But as a courtesy to other human beings, in passing, I will put a mask on. It's just Mm -hmm. showing that courtesy, I think, is the important part right now. Yeah. At least. I think so, too. I agree. (sighs) I think our episode has reached Say it isn't so. Whatever will you do? (laughs) All right. Well... I guess yeah. we should peace out then. I don't I don't wanna yeah. but okay. That's all right. Until next week. Uh until next week. Drink good and beer. Please Local tip beer. your fucking bartenders. Please. Especially yes. now that people are reopening. Go visit. Just be respectful. Yeah. 
and tip, and them. tip them. Yes. A lot. <laughs> More than 20%. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. Bye. <laughs> For more information, we can be found on Instagram at Seattle underscore on underscore tap, email at Seattle on tap at gmail.com, or our website, Seattle on You can also like us on Facebook, and all of the Seattle on tap original music is provided by Bubble Bathism, courtesy of the Subterranot Recording Collective. We're fucking ridiculous. I know.